1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Allison, when you're sitting in the provincial budget lockup and you pop in that thumb drive and open the PDF in all its glossy glory, what's the first thing you control, F? Like, like what's the very first thing you search for in the provincial budget to learn the government's intentions for?
1: This year, it was housing starts. I wanted to know how many new homes the Ministry of Finance was projecting that Ontario is going to build over the next five years because uh, they keep saying they're going to build $1.5 million over a decade. And, yeah, the numbers don't add up. They're not going to meet that target.
2: For me, since Ford has taken office, it, it, it's been TVO. Then I usually try searching TV Ontario as two words, and then and then just television. And then finally, Ontario Educational Communications Authority, just in case they're hiding something dastardly behind TVO's full official legal name. And then, finding no mention of it at all, I breathe a sigh of relief. As long as Ford's government ignores it, it's probably safe for another year. And then I search for Ontario Place, which has not been quite so lucky.
1: It's funny. It's those two things, which both came about in the same relatively idealistic era, part of an effort to build an Ontario identity. Yeah, I mean, by
2: today's standards, an effort to build an Ontario way anything seems idealistic. Uh, launched within a year of each other, TVO and Ontario Place were both initiatives of the progressive conservative governments of the late '60s and early '70s. And yeah, it's wild to think of a time when conservatives built things. But really, at this point, it's kind of wild to think of a time when governments of any stripe built things.
1: And like Ontario Place, TVO's kind of been left to erode or at least not get reinvested in. Yeah, I mean,
2: the agenda with Steve Pakin is like pretty much TVO's cenosphere. The last non-kids attraction standing is everything around it is like – fallen down or been hollowed out from this disinvestment and neglect.
1: So they're going to replace it with a spa channel? Well, the
2: government did appoint Therma's VP of Communications and External Relations to the TVO board last year, uh, Mark Lawson, who was previously one of Doug Ford's deputy chiefs of staff. Creating jobs. I mean, like, I worry, like, what, what do conservatives love more than, to, than shunting aside the vestiges of the utopian public projects of yesteryear?
1: Spas. Spas, baby parking lots. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I have made several appearances on TVO's The Agenda over the years, which I've always enjoyed doing. A fun thing about appearing on the agenda is that TVO publishes transcripts online for the visually impaired, and those include detailed descriptions of what all their guests look like. So on April 28th, 2022, I was described thusly. Allison sits in front of a wooden door in her office. A framed picture is displayed on a table behind her. Allison wears a black blazer. A green lanyard hangs from her neck. Allison's blonde hair is parted in the middle and falls to her shoulders. Nice as someone's taking that
2: time to lovingly describe you.
1: Yeah, well, one time in 2019, I was 33, I think, at the time. And uh, after that appearance, it described me as, Allison is in her late 30s (laughs) with chin length straight blonde hair. She's wearing a black blazer and a floral print black shirt.
2: Bump. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land, and I've been on the agenda exactly once. The topic was John Tory, but off-air, Steve Pakin tried to make me feel bad for knowing nothing about hockey, uh, even quizzing me as to which Canadian teams are still in that year's playoffs.
1: And this is Like the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. We
0: gotta speak about-
2: Did you know that the Canadian Encyclopedia doesn't have an entry for TVO? In researching this episode, I wanted to start somewhere more authoritative than Wikipedia, but there's surprisingly little in the way of digestible histories, or even comprehensive histories. Like, if someone's written a book about TVO, the Toronto Public Library doesn't seem to have it. And even Steve Pakin's 600-page biography of Premier Bill Davis pretty much yada yadas over his founding of TVO. Thankfully, TVO itself put out a podcast series chronicling its own history back in the fall of 2020 to commemorate its 50th anniversary. Hosted by Pakin, it was creatively titled TVO at 50. And it's how I learned, for example, that the head of TVO in the late 80s and early 90s was a guy named Bernard Ostry, who controversially had nine television sets installed in his office so he could watch TVO's Master Feed, TVO's Broadcast Signal, TFO, English CBC, French CBC, PBS, CBC News World, and the Ontario Legislature Channel all at the same time. If you were counting, that was eight. The ninth monitor apparently sat blank because it was installed in anticipation of a channel that didn't end up happening. When grilled by a legislative committee on the expense and utility of this setup, he explained, in my style of leading this place, I insist on being bathed in the programming, which is the sort of image from which David Cronenberg and Anna and surely extracted a decade of material.
1: That's back when TVs were expensive.
2: Yeah, I think they cost like 700 bucks or something at the time, which is, I don't know, probably like a million now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, going back to the mid-1960s, the organization that became TVO was very much a pet project of future Premier Bill Davis, who at the time was the education minister in the government of John Robarts. In charge of both grade school and what we'd now call post-secondary, Davis was looking for new ways to integrate technology into learning, and educational TV was at the heart of that. He wasn't looking to create a second public broadcaster to compete with the CBC exactly, but like rather something more like explicitly didactic, something that could be shown to students as part of classes. Now, to hear Pagan tell it on the podcast— This is because Davis was a visionary who recognized the power of the medium of television and foresaw how people would come to absorb information in the coming decades. And there's definitely truth to that. But I I found a Globe article from 1967 that really helps put that vision in context. The headline was School of the Future, Electronic, Perpetual. It's just six short paragraphs, so I'm going to read most of it. Schools administrated mainly by electronic devices rather than teachers were predicted yesterday by Education Minister William Davis. Mr. Davis, speaking to the English Catholic Association of Ontario at the Royal York Hotel, said the electronic devices would provide material for the children to study, operate educational television, and answer questions in a matter of seconds. Teachers would provide guidance and direction when necessary, either in person or by video phone, but the underlying principle of the school of the future would be self-motivation, the minister said. Children would teach themselves to read by means of talking typewriters, which would instruct them at their own speed and capacity. The future school library will be stocked with tapes and microfilm. I take that to mean that, like, Bill Davis's larger project wasn't so much to supplement teachers with technology, but to ultimately replace teachers with technology. And the Ontario Educational Communications Authority, which became TPO, seems to have been meant as a big step toward that.
1: School of Future, Electronic Perpetual, is such an amazing headline. I, I love that, first of all. Amazing work. Whoever did that, there's no byline. Terribly sad. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like I'm imagining a bunch of tech like, boosterists, the equivalent of what we have of mm-hmm. those now in 1967, talking up video phones and talking typewriters the same way the world is like currently shilling an AI future mm-hmm. to us right now. But that also reminds me, like, that's not far from the truth in some ways. Like, of course, we still have teachers in Ontario and students aren't learning on Talking Typewriters, but, like, sort of they are. Before the pandemic, Education Minister Stephen Lecce made it mandatory for high school students to complete two online courses in order to earn their diploma. And, like, what's really the difference between an online course than children teaching themselves with talking typewriters and occasionally talking to a teacher on a video phone. Like, yeah, no, that's it. I mean, it. <laughs>
2: I mean Lecce's, whole, Lecce's whole thing is about shifting to, like, e-learning, right? Like, back in the 60s and 70s, they called it eTV. although e, in that case, I guess, was, like, educational TV, and e-learning, I guess, is electronic learning, or I guess they could call it electronic perpetual learning.
1: It's funny to think about a time in the 60s when, like, people liked TV enough to think that everyone should be taught by it because you like, there's obviously a backlash to TV that happened, but I guess it was before this.
2: Uh, no, no, there was a backlash at the time. No, no, there was definitely like some people liked TV enough. Bill Davis sure as hell liked TV enough, but no, it was con- it was controversial. Like, yeah, I know it was still a very new, scary, potentially dangerous, and certainly powerful thing. He, I mean, his utopian vision for it was not out of nowhere, but it was. I don't think it was necessarily the dominant vision either.
1: So TVO is not a beautiful uh, public broadcaster as much as it is an AI in the classroom proposition. <laughs> that
2: kind of was yeah how it started. I mean, and Davis really, really fought for it. Like he at the time he had to convince the federal government to grant permission to for the, the province to the province to do it, since broadcasting, you know, is traditionally under federal jurisdiction, and it wasn't yet really clear how far provinces would be allowed to go into that space. And at Queen's Park, yeah, he had to fight off like the opposition liberals who were, you know not unreasonably perhaps terrified by the prospect of there being a brand new television channel that was under the direct control of a minister, which is, you know, potentially a lot of propagandistic power. TV Ontario, stay tuned
0: for the
1: future. So
2: in 1970, it launched in Toronto and then it gradually expanded outward across the province and... Oh, I was also curious about the first mention of the name TV Ontario in a major newspaper. And it was in a pair of Globe and Star articles that ran the same day in 1975 about a new sex ed series hosted by June Colwood coming to the channel. And to quote The Globe, the series filmed actors from Toronto's theatre pass Mariah in scenes dealing with problems such as premature ejaculation on the honeymoon. The film goes on to show how to solve this problem. So let's peep through the polka dot door indeed.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that's a fun article. And you can see why that got written because... If everyone's a little bit weird about what this new channel is and then all of a sudden you hear there's going to be a sex show on it, it's like, well, get those scribes to their typewriters, like, extra, extra read all about it. (laughs) I suspect they
2: deliberately courted the controversy. Yeah. Definitely seemed like something they wanted that attention for themselves. The article has a quote, something like, I know this has the potential to be controversial as hell from the producer. That's fun. I like yeah, that. I like that fun. move. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so minus the whole premature ejaculation thing, TVO was and still is a TV channel with a bunch of kids' content on it. You can stream it live on YouTube right now. I found out uh, today. In keeping with the times, the broadcaster uses YouTube SEO optimized language and emojis for its videos. The live stream is called TVO Kids Live Stream 24 7, exclamation point. Arthur, Wildcrats, Clifford, Odd Squad, Dino, Dana, and more, exclamation oh, point, wow. exclamation point. Yeah, so kind of funny because, like, you think of TVO as kind of this pretty button up thing, and then you go to their YouTube channel, and it's just like, looks like a weird YouTube channel for kids. It's because kind
2: of we're over the age of five and don't have kids.
1: So, you, I guess, yeah, thanks to TVO, you can watch Arthur or Clifford or a bunch of kids' shows I don't never heard of uh, ad free, which seems good. But I guess I'm personally unclear of whether those are things you can watch ad free in lots of other places or if this is like somehow special. Mm-hmm. But back in its heyday, TVO became best known for the show Polka Dot Door, and then I think the follow-up show was Polka Dot Shorts, both of which starred Pokaroo, the multicolored polka-dotted giraffe, maybe. Who's well, a Pokaroo? He was just a Pokaroo. Yeah, I
2: don't think it. Yeah.
1: Who became Ontario's version of like Bonhomme, that cute Quebec snowman mascot for its winter carnival? Pokaroo, did you hear that sound? Pokaroo, Pokaroo. It sounded like the Pokeroo. Pokaroo. Pokaroo. I polled Commons host Archie Mann, and he's from BC, and I asked him if he knew what Pokeroo was before he moved to the Ontario, and the answer was a very succinct no. And they still trot out Pokeroo. Like, he helped with a vaccine, mass vaccine clinic during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They brought out Pokaroo as, like, um, I don't know, oh, a yeah. show of support. I think he, like, waltzes around the TVO offices once or twice a year. So he's still he's still there. He's still maybe a draft. TVO
2: was and continues to be a leader in children's programming. I mean, these days you know may not have polka dot door exactly, but you know it, it's, the, it's still the originating network of both Paw Patrol and Odd Squad. And I, I intone those titles into the mic on the assumption that maybe some of you have kids and better understand the scale of that significance than than I do. But he also used to have like you know. Quite a lot of original programming for adults, too. Like, yes, Saturday Night at the Movies, but also news magazines like Studio 2 and Prisoners of Gravity, which is also a great title. So TVO still produces a lot of original one-off and limited series documentaries. But aside from the agenda, the lineup of ongoing shows for adults tends to be sparse to non-existent. This didn't just happen because they ran out of ideas or anything, nor has TVO ever been inflicted the kind of mortal blow the likes of which Pierre Polyevre promises to bestow upon the CBC. Instead, it's, you know, suffered a gradual whittling of its budget from successive governments. Like the news of the Saturday Night at the Movies cancellation came buried in the sixth paragraph of a November 2012 news release titled, TVO announces plan that looks to the future. So as a result of Dalton McGinty's funding cut that year, TVO had to eliminate two million bucks from its budget, which meant laying off dozens of employees and canceling shows like Saturday Night at the Movies, Big Ideas and Alan Gregan Conversation, which I guess wasn't maybe not the biggest loss. I find it notable that Elway Yoss, the beloved longtime host of Saturday Night at the Movies, left the show in 1999, but they waited more than another decade until after he died before daring to cancel it kind of makes me also think of like this, like in Pekin's biography of Bill Davis, for example, which was published in 2016, he compares TVO to another project of uh, of Davis's, the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, or OISE. And there's this one line, both TVO and OISE are still firmly in business today. And while one hears a lot of rumors at Queen's Park about their futures, one also hears that no government of any stripe will attempt to do anything adverse to either organization as long as Bill Davis is still alive. Well, since that was written a few years ago, Bill Davis has died.
1: So TVO popped back into the headlines earlier this year when the Canadian Media Guild announced on February 28th that TVO workers had voted 100 percent in favor of a strike mandate. According to the Media Guild, TVO workers have received below inflation wage increases for the past decade, resulting in lower salaries than the industry standard. Their wages were frozen for the past three years because, like other provincial employees, they're captured under Bill 124, the Ford government's wage-limiting legislation, which caps annual raises at 1 percent. But I guess they weren't even getting those.
2: Yeah, I mean, like we should also point out that a strike vote doesn't mean they're going on strike. Um, Just they've granted their bargaining committee the authority to call a strike if necessary. It's a, a fairly standard, albeit fairly flashy way that a union demonstrates solidarity when bargaining isn't going too well. And I should probably also mention that Candleland employees are members of CWA Canada, of which CMG is the biggest local. So the TVO workers are also concerned about the letter of direction that Education Minister Stephen Lecce sent to TVO chair Chris Day back in January, which mandates the agency to provide curriculum-linked digital resources related to math and literacy, but, you know, makes no mention of journalism. TVO's new business plan contains a revised mission statement with the aim of becoming a globally recognized digital learning organization that creates engaging learning experiences for all.
1: A representative from the Workers Union noted that the prior business plan mentioned journalism 11 times, while the 2022 to 2025 plan makes zero mentions. The agenda with Steve Pakin was also mentioned in the earlier plan, but not the newest version. The document directs TVO to develop a content product monetization strategy and to transition from broadcast-first to digital-first. It does mention current affairs, but mainly in the context of documentary filmmaking. TVO Today, which is the agency's news brand, will move toward building community versus covering topics. So in response, Julia
2: Vrabic, TVO's VP of People and Culture, called the uh, CMG's new release highly misleading and just plain wrong uh, for them to suggest that TVO plans to reduce its commitment to journalism. Uh, in the statement, they, you know, she said, we continue to provide our full commitment to the agenda with Steve Pagan and our award-winning documentaries. As is appropriate in situations such as this, we will confine our future comments to the negotiating table.
1: Chris Day, TVO's chair, is a former staffer from the Stephen Harper government. The PCs appointed him to this job in 2020.
2: And before he did comms for the Conservatives, he was a reporter for CTV Ottawa, and with a career path like that, he usually end up at Navigator eventually. But instead, he has his own firm, uh, Winston Wilmont, which sounds like the name of a groundhog that would be wearing a top hat and monocle. But he also seems actually kind of like TVO, which is always kind of a relief. Doesn't mean he wouldn't, you know, allow them to do whatever to it. But if you were looking to destroy TVO or to, to break it break it apart, he's probably not the kind of guy you put in there because he actually seems like he's going his Twitter feed. He actually seems like
1: really into it he, how many screens does he have in his office
2: oh that's a, i think i'm gonna ask how many photos with pokaroo does he have on his twitter timeline so a lot of what tvo does already is this thing called tvo ilc which is uh ontario could describe itself as ontario's largest online high school it's what do you how would you describe it it's like a g it's like a paper course is like a ged equivalency thing so in some ways closer to what Bill Davis envisioned than TVO actually is.
1: Well they said they have 144 courses that exist within this and it seems yeah. to cost forty dollars.
2: It's basically you you get you get a high Ontario high school diploma online.
1: And you can't be in high school while you do it. Maybe I, I think it also is adults that don't have. Those, I would guess so. Yeah, or um, don't have it, or maybe like newcomers to Canada who want to get a high school diploma, that sort of thing.
2: But it's actually a pretty significant part of the TVO of TVO's overall operation, and so in the latest dis- business plan, they're kind of seemingly looking to, it's almost wind down the current affairs stuff and gear it more towards
1: that. And the other thing is Mathify. Oh, yeah. TVO Learn Mathify is another thing they have where you can go basically online stream to do online tutoring about math with teachers and one-on-one sessions. So really, that is like literally video phoning your teacher. Oh, wow. So I think they make money. So these are two things that are revenue tools from them, both Mathify and TVO Learn are revenue ventures. They make a couple million dollars a year, and I don't know if that is definitely some of the ILC stuff comes from people in Ontario, obviously. But they also the the TVO as an agency wants to license it to other countries and other jurisdictions. Has big plans to like make money off that. I'm not sure if they are, that's the same thing with Mathify, but somehow Mathify makes money.
2: Anyway, this TVO has all these. I wouldn't call them tentacles so much as verticals, Verticals. that's it. Not tentacles, verticals that exist apart from Steve Pagan. They just find a new way to sort it every few years. And the current one is now TVO Kids, which is for two to eight years old, which features shows and video games. And there's TVO Learn, which is for K-12 to kids and developed alongside the school curriculum. Then there's TVO ILC, the one we just discussed, which offers all those courses for the GED.
1: And then the fourth is TVO Today, which, as we, as I said, is the current affairs kind of news brand that wraps in the agenda, the news website and opinion section, a few podcasts, and the documentary department. So the business plan, and this is something the Canadian um, Media Guild raised, says there's going to be a significant transformation for TVO's current affairs and documentaries content. But it's really vague on how that will shake out It seems like they want to link the news business more closely to the curriculum somehow and also focus on digital-first content rather than broadcast and, like I said before, focus on building community versus covering topics. So based on that, I can see why the Canadian Media Guild is worried about TVO's journalism work kind of falling by the wayside, but the broadcaster really is maintaining that's not the case. However, on the labor side, a union rep told me that all new investments in journalism at TVO are being staffed exclusively by people with one year contracts, no benefits or job security. And TVO says they can't convert them because projects are only temporary and short lived. So that was news to me because I always just kind of assumed that getting hired at TVO was a good job for a journalist, in Ontario. And it kind of sucks to learn that is. Not the case, maybe, a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, they're public servants, Jen. Like, did the contractors have to swear an oath to the king, or is that just reserved for the permanent employees?
1: Swear one to Pokeroo. Ah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation
0: is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about Work.
2: just the most exciting way to begin every sentence. Um, <laughs> you will see anyway, so if you look at these numbers, you'll see the government's operating funding for TVO is not increasing with inflation. The operating grant from the ministry uh, is just over 38 million bucks, which is the same as it was in 2016. If it kept up with inflation, it'd be about four, it should be about 46 million or like over 20 percent more. In its financial projections, nearly all the revenue growth that TVO is expecting comes from the program charging adult students to pay for courses or comes from philanthropy. Because, you know, as a registered charity, TVO encourages people to leave a gift to them in their will or to donate their securities to them to, uh, I guess, avoid capital gains tax. Is that how it works?
1: I just would never think to include TVO in my will, but, like, I suppose there's no reason not to. I don't know. It just seems so odd when you, like, get into the details of that that this – Provincial agency that's, I don't know, ostensibly a broadcaster and an education authority type thing at the same time, too, in order to survive, has to come up with these licensing teaching software to other countries in order to like continue to exist. And it's like, what's the point of this? <laughs> So they used to have fundraising galas too, but I don't know. It hasn't seemed like they've had one since the pandemic. But in some ways, the good news is that thirty-eight million dollars from the Ministry of Education, the you know the operating grant they give TVO, is peanuts to to the provincial government. So since it's not a huge line item, that seems like it could help TVO stay alive. But, yeah, any future growth or really its ability to keep doing what it does now while the cost of everything else goes up hinges on TVO fundraising $7 million a year and growing this online school. And, like, that's not easy. And it – in some – like, I don't know how much effort goes to that as opposed to the things it's really supposed to be doing like it just, it just seems so weird to have this aid, like this broadcaster and being like, well, you can only survive if you like innovate in these kind of really bizarre ways and make all your own money doing stuff that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. But what I guess kind of side yeah. hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that's, that's kind Great.
2: of their, like, a lot of these. A lot of these stuff we're talking about. or Some of these are. are stuff repeated throughout the different mandate letters to the various agencies and I guess they're basically telling them all like, get a get a side hustle find a way to make money to justify yourself so like much as no one dared make a sudden move while Elway Oster, Bill Davis was alive I feel like Steve Pakin is pretty much the last horcrux they've got going so like there are enough people among the PCs who still like and respect him enough that it's hard to imagine them permitting an outright assault on the network while he's still the face of it still it's interesting to see how he sort of fallen out of favor with well if not the premier then like the people around him maybe it's it's so like not counting election debates doug ford has made just a couple appearances on the agenda one was february 2014 when he was still a toronto city councillor and his brother was seeking re-election as mayor
0: your brother says someday you will be the leader of the ontario progressive conservative party well i'm glad he has confidence in me is that your uh, wish no, it's not my wish. Uh, it is I, not your wish. It's not my wish. Uh, you know, there's wishes, and then
2: there's things that happen. Uh, there's wishes, and there's things that happen. And and but but actually, that interview, Paken did such a poor job of pushing back on on Doug Ford's false claims, not about that, but about like the city budget and stuff. That actually Paken followed up with a blog post of his own, acknowledging that he basically failed and he should have done a better job with it. Ford's next appearance was. November 2016, when between government jobs, he was out promoting his book, Ford Nation, Two Brothers, One Vision. And ca- In that case, Paken called Ford out for not delivering on his own pre-release hype for the book, shying away from the promised excoriations of deemed individuals. Ford said he decided to take a softer approach, to go high, if you will, after talking to his mom, but that he did get pretty close to unleashing I wish I could show you some of the
0: transcripts. You'd probably fall right off your chair. I would love to read them. And the you, transcripts. and you
2: might even be in them. <laughs>
0: no. I would, I would love no, it. No, actually, Steve, you're one of the better guys. <laughs> now that worries me that you say that. No, <laughs> it
2: kind of worries me too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I. I- Weird. Those are both really weird clips,
2: Jono. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's. It's. I, I feel like there's so much going on in both of those. Yeah. Uh, and then in late 2017, when he is preparing to run for Toronto mayor a second time, Doug Ford went on a different TV show, Political Blind Date, uh, to ride bicycles with Jagmeet Singh.
0: Hey, guys, just leaving work. Just want to tell you that I'm going to be on TVO tomorrow. I took a little bike ride with Jagmeet Singh. Great guy, by the way. Fabulous. He's a great guy, but those bike lanes are a disaster.
1: So those are all three of those clips were from before he was PC leader. Yes. Yes.
2: Before, though, that was even on his radar. But since entering provincial politics himself, he's repeatedly refused to appear on TVO outside of debates and has become the first sitting premier to do so for as long as TVO has been around which has led to the almost endearing annual spectacle of Pekin openly fretting on the Agenda's blog about why Doug Ford or someone in his office could possibly be upset with him since they tend to get along great in person. Pekin wrote, When we see each other, he smiles and warmly shakes my hand. He saw one of my sons and me at Queen's Park on the, at the Remembrance Day ceremonies last November. As Zach and I were leaving the grounds to walk to our car, we heard him yell at us from what seemed like at least 100 meters away to come over and say hi. And we did. And it was fine. All of which is to say the relationship between TVO and the sitting premier may, in fact, be the most fraught ever. But Doug Ford still fundamentally wants to be liked, including by Pakin crucially. And that probably ensures its near-term future in some form.
1: So TVO lives on for now. and um, We're going to have to wait and see what comes of the strike vote and the contract negotiations. But what we've come to see is that the Doug Ford government really does have no qualms with disassembling what remains of the province's 1960s public sector spirit. We talked about this quite a bit in our Ontario Place episode. But, you know, we talked about where Ontario Place came from and the Expo 67 vibes yeah. that I've like.
2: Yeah, it was basically a ripoff of that. Well, not rip, but I was inspired by Expo 67. Uh, Ontario's premier wanted his own thing at the time.
1: Right. Um, So it was something in the wider zeitgeist. um, It was like expo vibes. Expos were the vibe back then. (laughs) Um, And so it wasn't just Ontario, I think, that, that the public sector that had this public sector spirit, but it was very much here. So, you know, Ontario Place and TVO, you know, they have a lot in common, not just the 60s spirit, but like they're also for kids, right? Like Ontario Place's Children's Village was designed as a space for kids to learn and have fun. As someone who grew up here in the 90s myself, Ontario Place and Pokeroo feel like pretty extrincably linked they're kind of just these like sweet and simple and comforting things, and they were things the government, like Queens Park, gave us, and like really felt like they were giving to everybody.
2: Yeah, I remember the. I think Pokaroo had at least one stage at devoted to him, at them, at uh, at Ontario Place, uh, which I believe is now part of the uh, William G. Davis Trail to bring it all back around in a. Not not so much a circle, so much as a winding trail that will eventually lead to a glass wall behind which is is a spa for rich people. So what's new for free at Ontario Place? There's Dempster's Children's Festival daily with Ocaroo from TVO's Polka Tour. amazing new 3D laser light shows at Cinesphere, see Ring of Fire in breathtaking IMAX, plus Blue Planet each just two and four dollars. Ontario Place now with free gated admission during our 20th anniversary summer. Ontario.
1: The latest domino to fall, like, it's pretty opportune we're doing this episode this week because it's the Ontario Science Centre. Since the PCs first announced the Ontario Place revitalization plan a few years ago, there was always kind of a mention of the Science Mm Centre having some sort of hub there, which would have been fine. I don't think everyone kind of thought that was cool. Now the plan is they're going to shut down the current building at Don Mills, which opened in 1969, spirit of the 60s, and just move the Science Centre spirit uh, <laughs> to Ontario Place somehow. Cycle over
0: to the new state-of-the-art Science Centre. And by the way, we've been talking about the Science Centre for over three years now. Probably the worst uh, the, the worst kept secret. But, uh, John, thank you for that. Yeah, I agree. Where you can explore the latest in interactive exhibits or catch the, the movie at an upgraded
1: uh, Cenosphere. I'm pretty skeptical about what moving like quote unquote means in this equation. The Science Center as it stands is like this big brutalist kind of building that winds through a ravine. Oh my God, yeah.
2: It's like a also modernist masterpiece but also not so So great that it couldn't plausibly stand in for the airport of a mid-sized Michigan city on Station 11.
1: Yeah, it's somewhere. It's true. (laughs) I looked into it and it cost $30 million to build and open in 1960s. And that's the equivalent of $260 million to build again. That's the dollar amount, but stuff may cost more in many ways to build things now. And I just don't see any sign that the province intends to make that sort of investment like is the science center just gonna be like a, a tarpaulin with some like turtle shells on a table underneath it like they could do that or do they find some way to privatize that too? like I feel like that is on the table of something that they will do because how do you we can't everything just move is science. that
2: everything is science you could just have, deliver it to you on your computer right Computer is <laughs> a science center now. Here's a website
1: like the plan to build housing where the science center is now or at least on the parking lots of where the science center is now which makes sense but the science center itself is like fully in a ravine so i don't really think you can build no, housing no, there no they would
2: be massively expensive to build there on the a parking lot sure but then i guess so do you just just leave the building and the shell in the ravine i guess we've done worse things
1: i checked and the government's annual operating grant to the science center is 19 million so that's actually a lot less than the amount they spend on tvo I guess they get ticket revenue, so that's more like reliable income. But like, you know, the Science Center is the same thing. Like it's like TVO, like this Ontario place, like they just haven't gotten huge investments to like keep making it cool and good and like revamping its programming and like really doing stuff to try to draw crowds to it, which is kind of what you have to do for a tourism, you know, destination to survive. So if they had, you know, the government and not just the PCs like this, you know, the liberals are implicated in this and the Ontario Place. uh, And as you've said, TVO too. They were all they were doing it as well. And if these governments had no motivation to beef that up and keep the current center, you know, growing and thriving, then why would they spend hundreds of millions to move it to (laughs) Ontario Place and like make it good? Like they're just not going to.
2: They Basically, they want something to fill the pods. So they yeah. can get away, so, the, so that they can get away with privatizing the West Island for the spa.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, some of the pods were like they were kind of privatized, right? There was like Lego World and stuff. Well,
2: they weren't privatized; they were definitely leased out to different companies or things to be brand displays, like the Nintendo PowerPod, the Lego right, Pod. PowerPod, yeah.
1: Well, and I was thinking about so in Vancouver they have a place called Science World which is a no- operates as a nonprofit, and it's very popular. It's always being updated. People love it. Like, people can't get enough of this place. It operates as a nonprofit. It was pr- provincially run, and they made it into a nonprofit. So maybe, like, turning these things into nonprofits mm. saves their life in a lot of times because they're not at the whims of the government anymore, and they can make their own decisions and, like, not mm-hmm. be trapped by an operating grant. You know, as mm-hmm. much as that sustains, it can also hurt. There's one last thing I'll say about the Ontario Science Centre moving (laughs) is that a weird part of it is that the Ontario line, which is the new TTC relief subway line that the government is just starting to build, since its inception, it was described in like all of the government's marketing marketing materials as running to the Science Centre and not the Science Centre that will be at Ontario Place like Don Mills. And it's just very weird. Like I think even parts of the line, when they do, um, like Infrastructure Ontario is doing its RFPs and stuff. Yeah. Like say on Ontario Science Centre's section. Like it's, yeah, well it's the it's the
2: it's called the Ontario line because the whole the idea is that it runs from Ontario Place to the Ontario Science Center. But I suppose it's that will be vastly easier and cheaper to build if it doesn't have to actually go anywhere. Right. I mean, I, I could admire the creativity and the problem-solving there. It's like, oh, you, well, you could tunnel all the way out from, from, from the, lake, the Western Lake Shore to Don Mills, or you could just move the Science Center. Yeah,
1: it just goes, it's just a monorail from Thermé to the parking lot.
2: <laughs> and now it's time for... Foreseeable disaster, disaster of the Month. Allison. What is your foreseeable disaster?
1: So speaking of the Ontario line, the new TTC line that's coming to Toronto, which presuming it's still going to go from Ontario Place to Don Mills, which is the plan, either way, it's going to be shutting down Queen Street West in the very core of the city for at least five years and starting in about 12 days. I take the streetcar, I live right off Queen Street, we just dealt with years of uh, different construction, rerouting things for um, my life, and I just, like, the. I think the gridlock and just the getting around Toronto, which is already not great as it is, especially if you take transit, is just going to get, it's going to get so much worse, like, eminently, and I am... Not excited for it one bit.
2: I think I feel like you may have had this as your foreseeable disaster in the past, but
1: I'm very maybe concerned.
2: <laughs> five, I mean, five years. I
1: mean, you know, you said at least five. Five years I mean, for this particular intersection. Uh, but like, I mean, we but you still that stuff with it, with, with
2: like in like that's basically like TTC construction or transit construction inflation. So like, it's five years now. For, like five years from now, that'll be like worth like eight. It'll be like eight years, right? Like, you can always there's always like the curve that. Well, it you just took them like six, and a
1: ho- six or seven months to redo streetcar tracks near my house that were 80 meters long. So building a whole subway station, like, they're not going to be able to do that in five years. And, like, we've seen the Eglinton thing. Like, Eglinton's still a complete mess filled with holes. And for some reason, Metrolinx and the government are saying they're in a testing stage. Oh, That's like a complete lie. Lo- like, that has to be a lie. They're in a, there's still giant holes in the ground stage. So just however long, for whatever reason— Building transit in Toronto takes absolutely forever, and, like, I just don't think we are emotionally prepared as a city for what this is going to be like. (laughs) It's going to be bad. I think it's going to be bad for businesses and just tourism and people, and we're just going to be, like, unhappy campers. And I don't know what we're going to do. Bike, I guess. What's your foreseeable
2: disaster, Jono? So my foreseeable disaster is not so much a foreseeable disaster of the month as it is a foreseeable disaster of the spring, And perhaps not of the spring, so much as of the the fifth or sixth day of summer, since the Toronto mayoral by-election is on June 26th. And this relates to, on Monday, Olivia Chow uh, entered the mayoral race. And there is a reasonably strong prospect that that will end up splitting the left, center-left of the vote, which, not her fault that the electoral system is fucked up, that you can become mayor with a plurality of votes, no matter what's how small a percentage that is. It's, you know, I'm not not putting that on her in order that she the reason not to run, except that she already ran and didn't do the greatest job. And I'm not sure what reason there is to believe that she would be a substantially stronger candidate this time. And maybe I just kind of hate that I now have to try to figure out whether I'm going to vote for her or for Josh Matlow. Are her politics better than Matlow's? Yeah. Would she be a better mayor than Matlow? Well, maybe. Has he been on city council sometime more recent than 2005? Yes. Anyway, it's not it's not the most inspiring development. And I'd like voters tend to be able to pick up on when someone runs because they think they should run or because people are telling them to run. And it's like, okay, how about you? I don't know. To, to actually be able to make a convincing case when it's like, well, here I am. Is really really challenging, yeah. And I don't like that. Uh, it the my own, my own vote is a little less clear now. Although I mean, yeah, there's like what fifty, pe- probably fifty people on the ballot by the end. At least fifty people. Maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll vote for the guy who climbed Everest or said he climbed Everest.
1: I feel like this mayoral race in particular makes me really um, miss alt weeklies. Oh, my God. How much fun would this be? What do you think I would be doing every day? Yeah,
2: (laughs) I would have committed every candidate to – no, not every. I would have committed the names of most candidates to memory by now. Absolutely. We'd just be having
1: such a more of a citywide conversation. And I feel like voter information would be so much higher. I think it would just be so much better. We could have oh so much God. more fun with it. And I think it would produce a better outcome. Oh, yeah.
2: I don't you know, have any idea how hard I have to restrain myself to actually just avoid diving into that every day. I look at the list of who's running. It's like, my God, we got Frank D'Angelo and Giorgio Mammolini <laughs> in the same race. And we don't even talk about them because they're like 20 other people more interesting. It's we're we're really spoiled with, with characters mm-hmm. for this one. I, I think we'll probably have to do an episode about that? <laughs>
1: And that was Wag the Doug, a show about covering topics. <laughs> I'm
2: Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby, and occasionally hosting Shortcuts, which is the media criticism show that comes at Thursdays on the main Canadaland feed.
1: I'm Alison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queens Park today.
2: Our producer is Katie Lohr, and uh, JoFo is our managing editor, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley.
1: Our podcast is listener-supported. Go to canadaland.com join to help us keep this podcast going. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Lisa Kudrow was fired
0: from the set of Frasier. Charles Schultz was told he'd never make a living scribbling. Missy Elliott was dropped by her label. And Rita Moreno couldn't land a role of substance for seven years after West Side Story the stories of famous names, their lesser-known rejections, and the insights those rejections provide. We regret to inform you, The Rejection Podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.